Welcome to the Midweek Cycle on the Go podcast with Zach Swindell and Brett Loftus. This is just like our radio show. It's set mobile and at any time. Tune in, guys, and keep listening to the sports and listen to everything that we have to say. Swindy and I will be talking all things sports and all sports all the time. So get back, sit back, and relax for this next podcast episode. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Midweek Cycle Podcast on the go. Thank you guys for listening to the first two episodes. This is episode number three here, Brett Loftus, alongside Zach Swindell. Today we'll be talking about a plethora of things, and as always, we will be talking about NFL football. NFL football has been going on and been played a lot. There's been a lot of surprises and such. Biggest surprise, though, to me, Swindy, is that through ten weeks of football, well, through nine weeks, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers are still 9-0. and We've talked about it a lot on our radio show. And just how do you think that they were able to sustain this so long with their offense sometimes playing up to par and sometimes not? Yeah, uh, Big Ben has been playing really well for them, that quarter, the quarterback position. Obviously, he's really stepped up this year and, you know, played you know good enough to where if the, even if they have an off game, they, they you know, put up, put up, put up enough points to win, to win the football game. And it's just their defense is like, is what really carries them a lot. Um, they have really good players. Uh, TJ Watt, for example, defense end for them. Really, really young guy. Um, Going to be a beast. He already is a beast. He's been, he's been having a lot of sacks for him. And um, so you got guys like that. Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, safety out of Alabama a few years ago. He's been playing really well as, too. So it's just, it's just one of those things. I think the defense is really helping them you know, set the tone. And uh, when you're, you know, people say defense wins championships. So that might be one of the key roles while they're 9-0 right now. And looking at last week, which being week 10, there are a lot of good football games, a lot of surprises. And the surprise to me was the Texas and the Browns game. You had a 10-7 to ball game. The Browns were able to come out on top. Browns are now 6-3. and A very big surprise to me. Biggest surprise from that game, the potentially Nick Chubb, running out of bounds on the last offensive plays. And I don't know if you have him in fantasy, Swindy, but I know a lot of my good <laughs> friends have him. I know you had to upset a lot of people like that. But the Browns being 6-3 and three and not even scoring a lot of points, is, is that a surprise to you as well in that AFC North? Yeah, it's a huge surprise. I mean, I think the Browns, if, if you were telling me the Browns are 6-3, and three, I would have told you because it's their offense. They have Baker Mayfield, like we just said, Nick Chubb, Odell Beckham, which he got hurt. Um, Jarvis Landry, you got a whole ton of weapons on the offensive side of the football. And it's crazy because, like you said, they scored 10 points last week. They haven't been lighting it up, you know, offensively this year. Hey, but they're 6-3, and three, and I'm very, very surprised that they are 6-3. and three. Just because of – I mean, you have Odell Beckham, one of the best wide receivers in the game, goes down with the ACL injury. Uh, Nick Chubb was sidelined for a few weeks there too. So that's two of their big-time playmakers um, out for a while. But they, they've held their own, and they've won some pretty big games. And now they're 6-3, and three, so we can see – what they can do, we make a push for the playoffs, see what they can do um, leading up to that point. And really looking at the game of the week, that being the Cardinals and the Bills last week in week number 10. Cardinals and the Bills, Cardinals able to win 32-30, to 30, and they were really down, and nobody thought they would win until DeAndre Hopkins goes and mosses three all-pro defensive backs and Jordan Poyer, Tredavious White, and the other being, I want to say, well, yes, Micah Hyde goes up and, Mosses all three of those guys in the end zone for the game-winning touchdown. Would that be potentially the greatest catch you've ever seen, Swindy, or would you would you like to argue that? I mean, 
I think the greatest catch I've ever seen personally was Odell Beckham's one-handed catch, the famous. I mean, it was just unreal. Plus, it was a touchdown catch for him. Uh, and just and know, there was a P.I. called on yeah, the play. Yeah, yeah. Pass interference called. Uh, you, you watch the replay over and over again. They're, they're going to show it for years to come. And it's just it just almost is like, how is that possible? Like, that's something like that shouldn't happen. Um, but that's, that was – I mean, don't get me wrong. DeAndre Hopkins' catch was a very good catch. Greatest of all times, in my opinion, no, just because – I think there's a few other wide receivers that could do that in the league. I think Julio Jones, you know, Moss, go up there and Moss a couple people. Uh, Calvin uh, Johnson used to do it when he used to play. But there's, there's DK Metcalf now. He, he's one of those guys I think he could do stuff like that. But DeAndre Hopkins has t- definitely turned himself into, you know, top two, top three wide receiver. Whoever, whoever, you know, people have their different biases. But right now he's been playing lights out and really helping that Cardinals team win a lot of football games. Kind of transitioning here to individual statistics. There's a race to 1,000 every year. You look at the first guy who's going to get to 1,000 yards, and usually that's by about week 10 or 11, and that's where we're at. We're going into week 11, into next week's games. Right now, Dalvin Cook is sitting at 954 yards. Derrick Henry sitting at 946. And then the third guy, what a surprise, Ronald Jones the second with the Bucks. It's 730. Looking between really Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook, obviously Dalvin Cook plays at the 425 game against the Cowboys in week 11, and, and Derrick Henry plays at 1 o'clock against the Ravens. Who do you think will have more yards coming out of week 11, and who do you think will finish the season with more yards, barring no injuries between those two guys? Yeah, obviously, um, like I said on the radio show, I have Dalvin Cook on my fantasy team. And so I'd love for him to be the one that has the most yards. But in all honesty, I think Derrick Henry will have end up with the most yards just because – they're a really, really run-heavy team. The Titans don't throw much. Um, and when I have a guy like Derrick Henry that can put up 150 yards a game, 200 yards with a few touchdowns, like why not hand it off to him almost? So I think I think uh, Derrick Henry will get more touches. But the Vikings as well with Dalvin Cook, they've been they've been running him a lot. He's been getting a lot of touches over there too. So, you know, it's up for grabs. I think whoever, you know, maybe strength of schedule or defensive type thing, if, you know, the Vikings have to play some really good teams coming up then that might, you know, affect the way who whoever gets the uh, most rush yards at the end of the year. But I'm going to go with Derrick Henry overall and think he'll have the most rush yards in the NFL this year. And I really think it comes down to that they're more of a run-heavy football team. You know, I'm not going to say – I personally think Ryan Tannehill is a better quarterback than Kirk Cousins even. But when you look at a guy like Kirk Cousins, he has weapons out there. He's got Kyle Rudolph at tight end. Adam Thielen is number one receiver. And then Justin Jefferson on the other side, he's absolutely been tearing it up at the wide receiver position. And that's where we want to transition to here in the wide receiver position. We can talk about rushing yards, passing yards, receiving yards, but it's really a breakaway here, in my opinion, for the three best receivers in the league this year, DeAndre Hopkins, Stephon Diggs, and DK Metcalf. And I think those three guys have really helped elevate their team's play. And you look, the Bills are in first place in their division. The Seahawks are trailing right behind right now after this past week after the loss against the Bills in week 10 they're trailing right behind the Cardinals in their division so I don't think it's any of a coincidence that three leading receivers are on three playoff teams at the moment moving on to the quarterback position here obviously quarterbacks gonna win the MVP every single year in the NFL and we can talk and talk and talk and we've talked about it on our radio show as well but what who do you think is going to come out this year and be able to win the MVP yeah, like we, we've talked about this before, like Brett was just saying, we said Russell Wilson's, we said Patrick Mahomes, we've seen maybe, I mean, Dalvin Cook's a long shot just because he's a running back. He said he's not going to get the award, but he's been putting up <clears throat> great numbers so far this year. I, I'm personally have to go with, I like Patrick Mahomes in that spot. Just I think he's 
you know, more durable, more consistent than Russell Wilson is. And Russell Wilson, as of lately, in the past few weeks, he's, you know, thrown some picks, hasn't had the best games, lost a couple games. Not saying it's all his fault, but I think Patrick Mahomes is going to continue to be consistent at a high level as well, not just, you know, throwing for 250 yards. He usually throws for 300-plus, you know, three or four touchdowns type thing, no picks. That, that's the kind of stat lines he usually has. So I'm going to have to go with him. I think he'll win four or five before his career is over, maybe more. I think he's one of the best players that's ever going to play at the quarterback's position when it's all said and done. And like I said on our radio show, if y'all didn't listen, I love Kyler Murray. Uh, he's been popping off this year. I think he's he has a strong case, but he's just not he's not he's not the numbers compared to those other guys. So honestly, I, I want to see Kyler Murray win it, but if all I'm going to go with Patrick Mahomes winning the NFL MVP this year. My pick is going to be Josh Allen. He's a guy that's really burst onto the scene this year. Kyler Murray's really elevated the play of the Cardinals, which is why he was drafted number one overall in 2019. But Josh Allen has absolutely burst onto the scene this year. He really has not had a bad football game, and I think that's where it's going to come down to. You look at the consistency there. He might not be number one in all the, you know, the statistical categories, but Josh Allen has simply just won and played very well every single week. Obviously, the way the Steelers are playing right now might not look like they're going to get the number one seed in the AFC but they are playing great football. I like to transition to Major League Baseball. Swindy, you know, we we talk about it a lot on the radio show. We did talk about it a lot on there. But I would like to talk about, you know, season and recap. And really, where does that start off with? It starts off with your World Series champion, that being the Los Angeles Dodgers, and it starts off with your awards. Dodgers had a great season. However, they were not able to come out with any of your major National League award winners, that being – your NL MVP, Freddie Freeman, your NL Cy Young, Trevor Bauer, and the National League Manager of the Year, Don Mattingly. Now, Mookie Betts was able to take away the National League Outfielder Silver Slugger Award, and he was able to take away a Gold Glove Award as well. But going back to those awards there, we talked about Freddie a lot. We've always talked about Freddie a lot. Freddie able to finish second he, was, he led the MLB in runs scored. He finished second in Major League Baseball in OPS, second in the National League in batting average, on-base percentage, and slugging percentage. And it was only a matter of time before he won one. But would you put an asterisk beside him or Jose Abreu's MVP 2020 award? Absolutely not. I think it's even more special that he won it this year because it's a 60-game season. And, you know, that, that award went to, you know, you start off hot, start off slow you know 60 games is not very much compared to these big leaders that usually play 150 160 a year you know with off days and you know just get some rest so I don't I don't think that at all I think that's ridiculous if people think that but that's just my opinion I think he deserved every bit of um, recognition he got he deserves an MVP he finally won one so it just it's frustrating for people that I know people have been you know talking about that and you know they have their opinions so do I so no, no big deal there. It just, I think it's, you know, equally as, you know, good as winning a normal MVP on a regular season, 162 games. That's just my opinion. I think um, but also it's just the same thing with the World Series uh, winner. So if you, like people are saying, should, should there be an asterisk behind the Dodgers after they won the World Series this year? I don't think so either because they were the best team. They, everyone else had the same opportunity, same chance to win that World Series. They play the same amount of games, have the same amount of playoff series, all that kind of stuff. So it's just whoever wins, they were the best team in that 60-game span or whoever many in the playoffs. So I think it's just, you know, it's baseball. You play nine innings. I mean, the extra innings were a little bit different this year, bearing that. But it was just straight-up baseball, and the best man win, best best team won. 
and I would have to agree with you there. I think if anything, it would be more difficult because you look at a guy like Freddie. Freddie missed the entire summer camp for the Braves because he had COVID-19. He was able to come back out and have a season of a lifetime. And I think looking at a guy like Trevor Bauer, Trevor Bauer picked up late last year by the Reds and able to do what he did. And then even looking at a guy like Shane Bieber, the American League Cy Young Award winner, he comes up last year. He's a rookie in 2019, comes out this year and absolutely blows away the competition in the American League. He was the first unanimous choice of an AL Cy Young winner since 2011. He dominant. He had a 41% strikeout rate. You just don't hear about guys who strike out their opponents four out every 10 times. You don't hear guys getting a hit out of four every 10 times, and you sure do not hear about guys striking out their opponent four out of every 10 times that they get it. It was a very, very, very Great season. He had the lowest qualified ERA, which was 1.63 since 1969. And he had the lowest opponent's average, which was 167 also since 1969. A season for the ages for Shane Beaver. I mean, guys are only getting a hit in one out of every six at-bats. That's, that's quite insane to me there, Swinney. Looking at your Manager of the Year awards, Kevin Cash named the American League. Don Madley, as I've already mentioned, named your manager of the year in the National League. Don Mattingly, fun fact, was the only the fifth player and manager to ever be named an MVP in his playing days and manager of the year in his coaching days. So that's pretty cool as well. And I would just have to say Don Mattingly might be one of the greatest manager of the year, manager of the year winners of all time. If you look at what he had to overcome early on in the season, 17 out of his 25 guys on his opening – or 28, however many they started out with this year, 17 guys on his opening day roster contracted COVID-19 at some point. And he had to battle through that and was able to make the playoffs. And not able – not only able to make the playoffs, but win the NL wild card series. And then inevitably the Marlins lost an NLDS to the Braves. But he was able to go and battle through all that, get the Marlins to the playoffs. A team who was, you know, I would say – if I don't have the statistics in front of me, but played about 80% of the roster, the team was under 30 years old. I mean, just the youthfulness and able to do what they did this year, in my opinion, the most impressive manager performance in recent history. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like we talked about on the radio show, Don Mattingly took a team that was very, very bad the previous year um, with, with you know, really no, not much talent at all, no big names type players. And they took and took him like you just said, took him to a playoff series, and they end up winning it, which is insane. So I think he has every right to win that, to win that award. It was all his to win. Um, not, you don't really hear that much people, you know, going from a really bad team, one of the worst teams, to you know making the playoffs next year and even winning the playoff series. So yeah, he deserves every right to have that one. And I got a question for you, Brett. So we're talking about Kevin Cash, the Rays, Tampa Bay Rays manager. He won an award. Do you think he would have won the award after? The fact that because they vote, so they vote before the season or before the postseason starts. That's how all the um, major awards voting goes, and everyone knows. And if you watch the World Series, he made a pretty big um, decision, killing and killing. Oh my gosh! And pulling Blake Snell in the sixth inning, and he's only given up one hit, something along those lines. The guy was shoving, ended up pulling him, ended up losing the World Series. If you guys watch Game Seven, so do you think he would have won that award if they would have voted after that game? I still think he won it. Would have won it because of the simple fact that. He was able to beat a Yankees team that was predicted by, you know, generally the entire United States population to make the World Series. And he was able to be a just on fire Houston Astros team in the ALCS. And I know he made a goof up there in game six. That happens. But 
what he was able to do in the managing job that he took a team that had lesser talent than everybody else that they pretty much played, including the Astros who had a down season. But they it, – it's not that they were decimated by talent. That was more of just getting in their own heads there, in my opinion. And I think he took that team and was able to defeat the teams that they defeated in the playoffs. I think Kevin Cash had to be your manager of the year. And I, I think it would have been after postseason. It, it could have been after anything. And honestly, if you would have voted after – postseason National League, Swindy, in my opinion, I think Brian Snicker should have won it because of the fact that he was able to win his first, what was that, seven games, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, first seven games of the postseason, 7-0. and um, Obviously, blew a 3-1 lead there, but to, 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 we don't want to really discuss that too much as Braves fans, but I think Snit would have won that one. Looking at the Gold Glove Award winners, I think it was really cool. Alex Gordon, who's been a staple for the Kansas City Royals for a very long time, he was able to not only win the Gold Glove, but the Platinum Glove Award winner in the American League this year and then in the National League. Hopefully a future Atlanta Brave, Nolan Arenado, was able to win the Platinum Glove there. It was a really great honor there for both guys to win that. Been talks here that Nolan Arenado wants out of Denver and wants to go somewhere where he could pretty much win. And only thing I think would be holding teams back from getting him would be his contract. It's a swindy. In my opinion, as an Atlanta Braves fan, there's only six guys I'm not giving Denver and not, not giving Colorado, not giving the Rockies. I'm not giving them Ronald Acuna Jr. I'm not giving them Freddie Freeman, not giving them Ozzie Albies, and I'm not giving them Freed, Anderson, or Soroka. Anybody else. <laughs> and I literally mean that in the most literal sense. Anyone else is up the fair trade. You can have Dansby Swanson. You can have – I mean, obviously, Marcel's a free agent. They could take Marcel Ozuna. They could take Austin Riley. You can take Kyle Wright, Bryce Wilson, Travis. I mean, literally anybody else on the on the roster. And how do you think the Braves should go about it if they can? Because we talked about it last season, too, about acquiring Arenado. But how do you think the Braves should go about acquiring Nolan Arenado? Yeah, well, if it's if it's in a straight up trade type of thing, I think you do have to get one of those six players you just named. I'm not like the Ronald Acuna or Freddie Freeman; they're going to be here to stay. But maybe like a Ozzy Albies or like a Max Freed type player, which is it hurts a lot. We don't want to see those guys go. But get to a, get to get a player of the player that um, Nolan Arenado is one of the best third basemen in this generation by far. Can field out of this world, can hit home runs, hit for power, hit for contact, do all that kind of stuff. I mean, he's going to be a three hundred million dollar guy. That's, he's just, that's just the contract he's going to be on. Actually, I think he actually has a three hundred million dollar contract. So yeah, he already has that contract. So yeah, you have, you're going to have to give up at least you know one of your big pieces, which is you know unfortunate. But honestly, I think I'll be willing to to risk that. If we're trying to make win a World Series, you got you got to get a guy like that in your lineup. Um, also, I want we need a starting pitcher as well. The Braves. You know, struggled there a little bit, but they, you know, got some young guys in there in that lineup as well now. So yeah, no, to get a to get a guy like Nolan Arenado, I think you have to give away some 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 of your uh, your prized possessions. So it's sort of sort of you know, it's it's not ideal, and it has to be the right give trade. and take. Yeah, that's simply what it is. And and when you look at that though, Swindy, if you get Nolan Arenado, you're going to have three out of the best ten players on planet Earth on your baseball team. I mean, you, you got the best third baseman in baseball. You'd have the best first baseman in baseball. And you got a top five outfielder in baseball, if not a top three outfielder in baseball, and Ronald Acuna Jr. And you get those three guys together. There is no excuse, as, as a great man would say, there's no expletive excuse to why the Braves should not go win a World Series if they will acquire a guy like that. Looking at other guys to go re-sign or to sign here, 
what a lot of people are saying and what we have been saying for, for, for months now, we need to go get Trevor Bauer. Well, it's really coming down to this. If the Braves are able to re-sign Marcelo Zuna to a monster contract, you're not going to be able to go pursue Trevor Bauer. If you lose Marcel, then that's going to that's, that's gonna be that you need to put all your focus on Trevor Bauer. Which guy, if you could just pick one, money is no option, length of contract is no option, one year, which guy would you rather have? That's, that's very tough. But to be honest, I'm thinking I'm gonna go Trevor Bauer just because the, what he did this past year was just dynamite. Like, dude, the dude was, you know, striking everybody out, pitching with confidence, pitching with energy. A guy that you would love to have on your team. And the reason I say I'm going with the Trevor Bauer move is because we have Ronald Pena Jr. Obviously, Christian Pache, who we brought up at the end of the year, looks promising. We also have a guy named Drew Waters. It's in the minor league, still in AAA, and they've heard that he can hit better than Christian Pache. Maybe not as fast or toolsy in the outfield. I heard he's a better hitter, better offensive player than Christian Pache. So I would give up, you know, maybe on Marcel, even though he just had, you know, MVB-type year, which that would hurt. I think it would hurt our lineup just a little bit. But if we have, you know, we get some more cakes out of lineup or Darno out of lineup and put – not Darno. Um, help me out here. The outfielder hit the three home runs. Duval. 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 Yes. Get him out of lineup. Get more cakes out of the lineup type, type players like that and mix in the young guys. With Trevor Bowers leading your staff, I think that's a huge plus. I think it's a World Series or bust team at that point. And I think pitching is what wins you championships. Sweeney and I are recording this in my dorm room right now, and if you could see it, I got a poster hanging up on my wall, and it has the 1994 Braves. And you look up on that picture there, Swindy, you see Greg Maddox. You see, you know, guys like Tom Glavin. You see John Smoltz. You see Steve Avery. You see all these guys. And that's how the Braves won in the 90s. And – we were decimated with starting pitching this year. And I'm not saying that's what lost the NLCS for us. But at the end of the day, that's what lost the NLCS for us. And, you know, injuries happen. And, and Mike Soroka got hurt this year. Max Freed was out for a short period of time. Cole Hamels only was able to start one game for us in the regular season. Felix Hernandez opted out due to COVID-19. We lose all those guys. But you have to have depth at pitching because pitching wins championships. It's just like the same thing, defense and football. You know, offense puts butts in seats. But defense is what brings home the Lombardi Trophy or, or whatever you want to say in college football, the college football playoff trophy or whatever. And it's the same thing in baseball. Pitching is going to bring home the championship, and, and that's what's going to happen. Looking to this upcoming week here, Swindy, we, we, we got the NBA draft. And it's, it's looking, you know, some teams might trade out here. Some teams might stay the same. And looking at the potential over, number one overall pick, it's the guy that I've picked. And I think he's going to be the number one overall pick is Anthony Edwards. He'll go to the Timberwolves. It's what it's looking like right now. What would it mean to Georgia sports here for him to go number one overall? I mean, it would be insane because, you know, Georgia basketball is not known for, you know, being a top program in the SEC or much less the country. They get, a, you know, here and there they get a four-star recruit type player. But Anthony Edwards was a five-star, I think, the number one rated player in his class. Commits to Georgia because he's from here. From, from the great state of Georgia. So that was a big surprise to me. I mean, you know, he had offers from Kentucky, Duke, Villanova, big programs like that. So him even just to come into Georgia to even, you know, like to play for, you know, the hometown team, that could probably got, you know, like you said, fans in the seats, everyone excited, pumped up about it. Um, the Georgia Bulldogs basketball team was still not that good overall as a team. He played really well. And I think you're right. I think he, you know, has a good chance to be number drafted number one overall, just because it's still said the guy can jump, dunk, shoot, Pass, you know, he's he's like a Dwayne Wade, like we said on our radio show. I think he, he's player comp is like a Dwayne Wade type or um, Donovan Mitchell type, someone like that. You know, fast, big, uh, really uh, very athletic type Explosive. guy. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, I think I think you're right. I think he has a really good chance to be the number one overall draft pick. And then another guy we used to talk about was Lamelo Ball. 
and we know he could be up there as well. I So, looking at that, I'm glad you brought that up. You get the Warriors and the Hornets picking it, respectively, two and three. And and looking at those needs there, you still got Steph and Clay in the backcourt in Golden State. They're going to start, barring anything happening this year, and it's going to be them they're going to return here. You look at the front court there, they're kind of weak in the front court. So is Charlotte, though. Charlotte's got two young, promising point guards in Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham. Who do you think should go where between Wiseman and Ball if – uh, if Edwards does go number one overall? Um, you know, I think Wiseman's going to be a really good player. He was another one of those guys that went to Memphis, correct? He went to like a, you know, mid-major, not big, not a big-time basketball. I guess they are on the come from basketball, but not, you know, a Duke-type or Louisville-type um, basketball school. So there's another guy, you know, who's really highly rated in his class, um, goes to goes to Memphis, ends up opting out with some issues he had there. So he didn't really even get a play for Memphis. But, you know, he – he, you know, is going to be a top 10 pick, top five pick, whatever, you, whatever you're going there with. So I think he's going to be one of the better players in that class. I would go with James Wiseman. So you think James Wiseman is going to go at two and then ball at three to the Hornets? I think so. I, and I think that would make the most sense because James Wiseman is a guy that's going to come in and make an immediate impact wherever he goes. He is a turn-of-the-century big man. He's a guy. He can stretch it out to about the charity stripe, and he is about as strong as anybody in NBA. And, NBA, and I think he's going to be an absolute dominant player wherever – he goes looking at NBA free agency something we'll also get to here in the next few podcasts NBA free agency is coming up Anthony Davis is a guy I really want to touch on here he says that he's going to opt out of his contract with the Lakers but but he's only opting out so he can just re-sign with them pretty much opting out of his current contract so he can get another one do you think there's even a slight chance that AD goes somewhere else I, I think there's no way he goes somewhere else he just won a championship his first ever one with LeBron James, and I think they have a really good team. Even spot, you know, you know, there's also gonna be some big moves, big trades. You got KD coming back in the league, so you know, think things are gonna be changing up for a little bit for the Lakers. Gonna have some, some more competition. They probably won't be playing in the Miami Heat in the uh, NBA Finals. They play, uh, they will be playing somebody. You know, could be the Nets. You know, who knows at this point? But you know, I, I think that there's no chance he goes anywhere else. I don't know why he would. It's LA. It's the Lakers. Um, Playing with LeBron James, not a lot of, not a lot of people get to do that, especially uh, LeBron James is still playing at a high level for his age. So I think he definitely signs back and you know goes for another championship run. And I think he will as well. And, and honestly, looking at the Lakers, if they can keep that core together of Davis, James, and and you know, it's really going to look around and it's going to see where the pieces go. There's been some names circulating. Will Rondo stay with the Lakers? Will Dwight stay with the Lakers? Will a lot of these other players end up staying in L.A.? And it's just kind of a up-in-the-air situation there. Don't really know if they will or not. That's something that we're going to see unfold over the next coming days. And, and I just think that, honestly, something else we want to talk about here, something else that's going to unfold over the next few days is James Harden. Harden. James Harden does not want to be in Houston anymore. His window is closed. Let's just call it what it is to win a championship there. There's been talks that he's going to go to Brooklyn. We talked about this on our radio show, another topic on there. Do you think he's going to go to Brooklyn? Because I, I, I don't see how you have the money to go to Brooklyn, yeah. Swindy. I mean, when you already got Kyrie and KD on the contract you have them on, and, and Jared Allen's going to want a big-time contract because of the defensive center that he is, I don't see how you get him there, but do you think that they will? I <laughs> – that's, that's the question. I don't know if they can or will. I hope they don't. Like I said in our radio show, if y'all tuned in for that, I was saying it's it's almost like it wouldn't be fair. They're, they're going to be better than any big three we've ever seen. You know, you got the, you know, the Warriors' big three, the Miami Heat's big threes, 
Um, you know, the Celtics big three back in the day. You know, all those big threes, which were all good players, all, you know, could be future Hall of Famers. But, I mean, you got three guys on your team right now that are probably top five in the NBA right now, including, I mean, I would say, you know, LeBron James is obviously one or two. Um, Giannis is one or two. And then other than that, you got these three guys that are just dominant. KD's might be two. So you get all three of those guys on one team. I don't think it'd be any comp, honestly a competition. I think they would break the Warriors' record of, uh, of the best record in the regular season and go on to win, you know, the NBA Finals with with a, with a breeze. To be honest with you, and nobody in the East would be competing with them. And and I think it'd be one of those things where you got to mesh at the beginning of the year. KD and James have already played with each other. Kyrie never played with either one of the two guys before, as KD was injured the entire previous season, last season. So it'd be something very interesting to see here. And and I just really I. It, it's, it will be tough, like I said, contract-wise, to get James on that team. But, you know, it will be something definitely, definitely to see here. Our vintage segment, in which we like to bring back a player, this, this episode is my personal guy or my guy here, one of my favorite ball players of all time. Played really before my time. He played the first few years of my infancy, but his prime came in the late 80s and throughout the decade of what we know as the 1990s. Former first baseman, Atlanta Braves legend, should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame, Fred McGriff. Fred McGriff, a guy who hit 30 homers in 10 separate seasons, a guy who hit 493 career home runs, a guy who hit 30 homers with five different teams. Only one other player to do that is Gary Sheffield. So that means you're able to be consistent and play for a lot of different teams. That can both be negative and positive. But I, I just simply do not understand how we have a guy like Fred McGriff who should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame, who is not even named is on the ballot anymore. He hits 493 career home runs, has a World Series ring, is able to be consistent and have great seasons across the 80s, the 90s, and the, even the early 2000s in the infancy of the Tampa Bay Devil Rays' franchise. And, and it, just, it just really upsets me that he's not in the Baseball Hall of Fame. He is an all-time brave. I think that 27 should have been retired. It has not been, but I, I genuinely believe that number 27 should have been retired for what he done with the Braves. When he came to Atlanta, the Braves absolutely went on a tear. In the 1993 season, they lost in NLCS. 1995, he helped prepare them to a World Series. He hit home runs in the World Series. He was a guy that would have been up for World Series MVP if not Tom Glavin pitched the gym in game six of the 95 World Series. And, and I just personally think that it is a disgrace a disgrace that Fred McGriff is not in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And the same guy, Swindy's guy on our last podcast. It's also a shame Andrew Jones is not in there. We'll see when they release the names on this year's 2020 ballot, what names are on there. Uh, Andrew is obviously expected to be on that ballot. Fred McGriff is not going to be on the ballot. I, I would be pretty much able to bet that. But I, I think it would be a shame if Andrew doesn't either get in this year or next year. And, and not a lot of names as it's circulating around who's going to be on the ballot. It doesn't look like there's going to be any star-studded guys there, but we'll see. I think, you know, if anything, Andrew should get 75% of that vote and be able to be elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Well, that's all we got for Episode 3 here on the Midweek Cycle On The Go podcast. Swindy, you got anything else to say to the people before we sign off? I just appreciate y'all tuning in, uh, listening to the next two upcoming podcasts. Going to have some good content there for y'all. Thank you guys for tuning in. God bless y'all. and. Keep watching your sports. Thank you for listening to the Midweek Cycle on the Go podcast. And be sure to tune in for the next episode 
as Wales. X Wendell and Brett Loftus signing off for this one. 